This morning we are taking a one-week break from 1 Peter, and we do this from time to time in order to focus as a church on, on one of the core practices that Jesus calls us to pursue. So in the past we have talked about core practices like worship, uh, fellowship together, evangelism, prayer, and this morning we're going to talk about the core practice of what should motivate our financial giving. Talking about financial giving this morning and especially what should motivate it. Now this is a little bit of an awkward topic for me since your giving to this church pays my salary. It's a little awkward. So let me be really clear. We're not just talking about giving to the church this morning because Jesus also calls us to give to the poor and needy outside the church. He calls us to give to missions and church planting. And he calls us to give to other churches. So lots of possibilities of giving. And also, I want to point out that if you do give more to this church, it does not mean that my salary increases or that Pastor Ben's salary increases. Our salaries are set by the other members of the steering team in consultation with the, the finance team. And we are well cared for financially. I also want to mention that we're not dealing with this topic because our church is facing financial difficulties. We are not facing financial difficulties. You've been so gracious and sacrificial and faithful in your giving month after month, year after year, our financial needs have continued to be met by God and we are deeply grateful for that. Okay, so if all, those are all the reasons why we're not talking about this, then why are we talking about this? And here's why. It's because there are teachings in churches today about motivation for giving that I think are destructive and that are not biblical and I want to make sure, as in every area, Grace Church is firmly built upon the Word of God. Some of you maybe already are fully familiar with what the Bible does teach about motivation, so I hope this will be an encouragement to you to keep going. For others of you, this might be some new thoughts, might be some challenging thoughts. I wouldn't expect to change your mind in one Friday morning if you've been thinking differently for years, but maybe God would would sow some seeds of some new thoughts so that you'll search the scriptures afresh and come to understand what the Bible does teach about what should motivate our giving. That's where we're going this morning. And I thought it would be helpful to start by just telling you my own story about some of the struggles that I've had in terms of being motivated to give. Years ago, um, we were faithful in giving. We, we regularly gave 10%, gave a tithe. That's what the word tithe means, 10% to our, our church. But what I became troubled about was my attitude and my motivation in giving. Because I knew that God calls me to be a joyful giver, and frankly, my giving was simply out of duty. I knew God called me to do that, and I wanted to obey him, and so I did, but I, I was not experiencing much joy in the process. So I got convicted about that and said, I need to start working on what should motivate this, and so I started doing some study. Now, I had heard some teaching from some people of what today would be called the prosperity gospel, and that's one of the teachings that, that I am personally deeply concerned about. 
I don't think it's what the Bible teaches. I, I think it's destructive for people. And again, if that's your background, if that's your conviction, please don't be offended. I would just encourage you to search the scriptures. Hear me out this morning. What prosperity gospel teaches, one of the things is that the reason we give money is so that we will get back money. So you give in order to get raises. You give in order to get promotions. You give in order to get a new car. You give in order to get, get money. But I'd heard that, and as I started to read at this, I was persuaded from looking at books and hearing godly teachers. As they pointed out, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not why we give. And one of the problems with that is it ends up focusing people's hearts more on money than on God in terms of their motivation for giving, which is destructive to your heart if that's what's happening. So I was still struggling though, okay, what kind of motivation will give me this joy that I know God wants me to have? So that was one of my questions. I was also struggling with the question of how much should I give? Like I said, we'd been giving faithfully 10% to, to our church because that's what I knew the Old Testament taught in terms, of, in terms of a tithe, but I noticed that that was never taught in the New Testament. And I noticed that Jesus affirmed people who gave very different numbers of percentages. For example, Matthew 23, Jesus affirms the Pharisees for giving 10%. Matthew 23, verse 23. But in Luke 19, 8, 8 through 9, Jesus affirms Zacchaeus for giving 50%. Whoa. And there's another woe coming. In, in Matthew 12, Jesus, remember the story about the, the widow who gave all that she had? And Jesus affirms her to the disciples who are watching her, her give. And as I kept studying, I saw that Jesus does give some commands about giving, which are kind of shocking when you first read them. And when you second read them and third read them, uh, look at Luke 12, 33. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. That's a command given to all of his disciples. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Now, he doesn't say exactly how many of our possessions we should sell, but you can tell from reading this, can't you? that Jesus' followers are gonna have a heart that wants to give away more and more, and so in order to do that, they choose to live on less and less. Isn't that what's happening here? So what this showed me was that how much I give isn't just a matter of the calculator, like putting in 10% and seeing what comes out. It's a matter of the heart, that's what Jesus wants. How much do I want to give? How much is God leading me to give? How many money bags in heaven do I want to have? Those are the kinds of questions that Jesus wants us individually to be praying about and, and pondering. I was also rethinking where I was supposed to give. We just saw Luke 12, 33. Jesus calls us to give to the needy, to the poor. 1 Corinthians 9, 14, Jesus does call us to give to the church. And my conviction is that's, that's where the, 
bulk of our giving is going to go because that's like our family. It's like your, 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 your earthly family. You know, you wanna, that's your first priority. But it doesn't stop there. Romans 15, 25 through 26, we see people giving to other churches who are in need. We'll see more about that this morning. Philippians 4, 15, we see people giving to Paul's church planting ministry. Okay, so this is all stretching my thinking in my heart a number of years ago. I knew that the bulk of our giving should, should go to the church, but I started seeing there's lots of other needs out there, and I came to the conclusion, for me, for us, for Jan and me, that, that God was calling us to give more, not just to the church, but to the needy, to missions, and, and so on and so forth. Okay, but, but here's what happened. Maybe some of you are feeling this right now. As soon as I started thinking, God's calling me to give more, there, there, there were two blocks in my heart, two like barriers that were raised up in my heart. One was my desire for other things, right? Anybody else feeling that? Because if you're going to give away more, that means you're going to have less to spend on other things. And my desire for other things is like, well, what about that? Or what about that? Right? That was a very real barrier that came up into my heart. Another barrier that came up into my heart was fear about the financial future. If we give away more, then we're going to have less in the future, right? And what if we don't have enough money in the future? What if we can't pay our bills in the future? So these two barriers rose up in my heart. Desire for other things and fear about our financial future. And, and yet I knew what God was calling us to do. And I knew that God wanted this to happen from joy. So I knew that I was missing something. And I just searched the scriptures and I found scripture after scripture after scripture that when I prayed about those scriptures, when I soaked myself in the truth of those scriptures, meditated upon them, talked to the Lord about them, asked him to strengthen my faith in them, time and time again, God so powerfully met my heart that I, I was free of desire for anything else. And I was fearless when it came to our financial future. Now, I'm not perfect in this. It's a constant battle for me, okay? Maybe not every day, but pretty close usually, okay? Often, I need to pull out these scriptures again and pray about them again. And without fail, God, time and time again, removes these barriers, free me, frees me from these barriers, and fills me with joy in the possibility of giving. Again, let me just be clear. I'm, I, this is a constant battle for me, okay? But... This is how it happens. It's through God's word. So this morning, I want to take a look at one of those passages that so deeply impacted me. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. In this passage, Paul shows us what motivates financial giving. And he does this by showing us an example of overflowing generosity. Now, here's some background. We have the map up there. There's the map, okay? Bottom right is Jerusalem. Jerusalem, believers there were struggling with terrible poverty. Might have been life-threatening poverty. Two possible reasons. One reason was because of the persecution they were experiencing from unbelievers. Another possible reason was because of famines that had taken place at that time period in the Jerusalem area. Could have been both of these. But so the believers, the church in Jerusalem was struggling significantly with very serious poverty. Now, Paul was traveling in the upper far left-hand side, way up there, Macedonia, see way top left, Macedonia, it's churches like we have Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. 
He had already planted churches up there, and because of the needs that Paul knew about in Jerusalem, he was telling those churches up there, would you pray about, would you consider giving money to our brothers and sisters down in Jerusalem? Now those churches gave so shockingly generously, happily shockingly generously they gave, that Paul wrote the church at Corinth from Macedonia. He was still there and he wrote the believers in Corinth and he said, let me tell you about the grace of God, what he's done in Macedonia, how they're giving and I want to urge you, could God work in your heart in the same way so that you give in the same way to our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem? That's the background of this passage. So let's read it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. Here's what Paul says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, that is these churches in Macedonia, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, they had poverty as well, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. It's not an easy verse to understand. I think what Paul is saying is that they did more than Paul would have expected. And that they didn't just say, yes, Paul will give, but they didn't just give themselves to Paul. They gave themselves to the Lord and they gave themselves, not just some money, but themselves. Lord, we will do whatever you call us to do. And God so filled them with joy, so filled them with grace that they gave lavishly. And they said, okay, Paul, we've given ourselves to the Lord. We will give this to what you are hoping will happen in Jerusalem. I think that's the point of verse five. Accordingly, verse six, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Paul had sent Titus there to help them collect the funds. Then verse seven, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Those last words there, that's the command of this passage. Remember, we're, we're working on our inductive Bible study skills, how to study the Bible. We look for clues to see what the author's main point is. One of the most obvious clues is any command, and here's the command right there in verse seven. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Now this was amazing generosity on their part. Let me unfold a couple of reasons why it was so amazing. First reason, in verse two, they were in a severe, severe test of affliction because they faced extreme poverty. They were not well-to-do, wealthy people. They were in poverty. And they were not just in poverty, they were in extreme poverty. That's the setting for this giving. Now, now just, just a side note here that I want to I point out to you. The prosperity gospel teaches that it's not God's will for any believer to be poor. 
The prosperity gospel teaches that if you are full of faith and if you're battling sin in your life, then you will become great more and more and more wealthy. And that if a believer is poor, it's because they don't have faith or because they're sinning. It's not what the Bible teaches. And you can see that here, can't you? Because the Macedonian believers are facing extreme poverty. That should raise some questions, shouldn't it? And Paul holds them up as an example to the church at Corinth. Be like them. Which means they're not full of unbelief or sin. They're trusting the Lord. They're fighting against sin. They're giving so generously, and yet they're in extreme poverty. And if you just think about the scriptures, you can see it's not the case that it's not God's will for anybody to be poor. Jesus had no place to lay his head. Paul had times, we read about this in Philippians, where he had no food, where he was hungry. He was in financial need. And I love the passage in Hebrews, it's either in chapter 11 or 12, where he talks about these believers who were so poor that they were wearing skins and were living in caves. But he says, they are men of whom the world is not worthy. Godly, holy men. Now, I, I want to balance this picture out. There are times where God lavishes his people with finances, right? Many of you have experienced this. Maybe all of you at different times. So let's ha- have the, the correct picture in mind. God loves to pour out blessings upon his people. And sometimes that will mean lavish finances. And sometimes the blessing will be poverty. He will do whatever will bring us the greatest joy in him. It's not punishment, it's not chastening, it's gift. If he gives us money and that'll bring us more joy in him, we're happy because we have more joy in him and we have more to give away. If he gives us poverty and that brings us more joy in him, we're happy because we have more joy in him. So understand how God does give both financial blessing and trials like poverty to his his people. Whenever he allows poverty to come, it's a gift of more joy in him, and that's what the Macedonian believers experienced. Verse 2, even though they faced severe affliction and extreme poverty, they had abundance of joy. Not just joy. Well, I should back up. Not just like gritting their teeth, enduring the poverty, but joy, and not just joy, but abundance of joy. Third, verse two, this abundant joy overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They didn't keep all their money to themselves. They gave. And they didn't give stingily. They gave generously. And they didn't just give generously. They gave a wealth of generosity. This is just, I mean, are you all shocked at this passage? I hope that's why you're all being so quiet. Is because this is a stunning passage. It's it's just right here in the Word of God. Fourth, verse 3, they did not just give according to their means what they could afford. They gave beyond their means what they could not afford. And fifth, they did this because they wanted to. Mm. It's not because Paul asked them to. In verse 3, Paul emphasizes they did this of their own accord. And verse 4 
shocking picture, they were begging Paul for the favor of making this donation. Paul, can we give to the Jerusalem church? Paul, please, please, can we contribute to this? They were begging Paul for the favor of doing this. Now, can you imagine, I'm struggling with wanting to give from joy, and I read a passage like this, and you can just imagine, I'm thinking, I've got to figure out what was going on in the hearts of the Macedonian believers. What was going on in their hearts to enable them, in their extreme poverty, to have such joy that they begged Paul to help. And when Paul said yes, they gladly gave to the Jerusalem church more than they could afford. I want to know what's going on. How does that happen? I wanted that in my heart. Don't you want that in your heart? You do want that in your heart. There is freedom in that. There is joy in that. It might sound shocking. Good. It should be shocking. But this is Jesus. This is what he does. Mm. Oh, church, let's be this. Now, how? how? How do we be this? What motivates this generous kind of giving? Extravagant giving. And in this passage, I saw that Paul gives two crucial steps that, that God does in our hearts to enable this kind of giving. Two crucial steps. The first step, God's grace produced abundant joy in them. And God's grace will produce abundant joy in us. Look at verses 1 and 2. I want you to see this for yourself. Verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. There's the grace of God. God's grace is doing something. And what does it do? Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy. So God's grace produced abundance of joy, and in that, their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. So God's grace produces an abundance of joy. Okay, now, I want that. And you want that, I trust. How do we get that? Well, we, we could think if it's God's grace that produces the joy, then we just need to wait for it. It's like, bring it. I want it. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible also commands us to rejoice in the Lord, which means there's something that we can do to receive this grace. But what can we do? See, we, we can't just turn feelings of joy on and off like a light switch. That's not how feelings work. But there is something that we can do. The picture I, I have sometimes is there's something we can do where I can, I can get under the, the outpouring of God's grace. If I'll just move from where I am over here to get under this outpouring of God's grace, then God's grace will produce this joy in me. So what can I do to get under this outpouring of God's grace so he produces this kind of abundant joy in me? And what we can do is to take time to think and to pray about all that we have in Jesus Christ. When you read about these churches in Macedonia, when you read like Philippians, you'll see this is what they did. When you take time to think and to pray about all that we have in Jesus Christ, God's grace will take those truths and so fill your heart with those truths and so strengthen your faith in those truths that you are overflowing with abundant joy. So I thought we would try this right now. 
There's, there's four truths especially that have helped me, four truths about what I have in Jesus Christ and what you, as you're trusting Christ, what you have in him, that I find when I marinate my heart in those four truths, God, by his grace, produces abundant joy. Four truths. First one, we have forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To him, this is referring to Jesus, all the prophets, all the Old Testament prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, this issue of forgiveness of sins is one of the many truths that make the truth that Jesus taught different from every other religion. Night and day difference. Don't misunderstand this. What Jesus taught is different, completely different, because he answers the problem of our sin. Every other religion teaches that you can be good enough to get favor with God. You can do good enough, enough good to overcome your wrongs so that you're not punished. But that's not how justice works. I've used this illustration before, but if you park wrongly here in Abu Dhabi and you get a ticket and you go to the traffic judge and say, yes, I parked wrongly, but I promise I will never park wrongly again. Okay, we're all good to go now. Don't need to pay any fines, right? I promise. Judge will say, you must not park wrongly ever again and you must pay the fine. Justice must be done, right? So even if you're perfect for the rest of your life, that doesn't make up for the sins you've done in the past, and none of us is perfect for the rest of our lives. So we all have the question, what about my sin, which God in his justice must punish? And the beautiful answer is that God in his mercy sent Jesus, did not spare his own son, sent him to the cross. And when Jesus was suffering on the cross, he was being punished for all the sins of all who would trust him. So because you're trusting Jesus, just let this sink into your heart, marinate your soul in it. Because you're trusting Jesus Christ, all of your sins were already punished on him, all your past sins, all your present sins, all your future sins punished. So you are completely forgiven for all your sin which means that now for the rest of your life and through eternity, God is rejoicing over you to do you good with all his soul. God loves you with omnipotent, passionate love. God delights in doing good for you. God is pursuing you with everything that you need because of what Jesus has given us in forgiveness. Okay, is a little bit of God's grace stirring some abundant joy. Getting it, it's getting started, I hope. That's the first truth, forgiveness of sins. Second truth, fullness of of joy in God forever. Psalm 1611. We like to quote this verse a lot here. You make known to me. David's talking to God. God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It was so revolutionary to me years ago when I first realized that there was nothing wrong in seeking joy. God made you to seek joy. What's wrong is settling for too little joy because we're seeking our joy in things that are never going to give us the joy we're longing for because God created you so that you'd have the joy of knowing him through Jesus. That's why God created you. He is our fullness of joy. And when we come to God, forgiven through Jesus by faith alone in Christ and seek his face, 
He will give us times where he brings his presence upon us so powerfully that we are filled with joy. All those of you who are trusting Jesus, you've tasted of what that, of what that means. And notice that this is forever, okay? Forever. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So because you are trusting Jesus, you have an eternity of ever-increasing joy in God, everlasting joy in God. That's your future. Just look, look down the, the years ahead. Forever, you're going to be having ever-increasing joy in God. Now, what happens to me is when I look at a verse like this, and when I seek God's face and say, show me your glory, show me more of the truth of who Jesus is, and he does that, and my heart gets filled with this joy, what happens as a result is I, I don't want as many things. I don't want as many things. I mean, if I'm filled with fullness of joy, then I've got all the joy that I can need, and I'm overflowing with, with joy. And you've experienced that too. And it's, it's not because we're so noble, oh, I, 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 don't, I don't want that. It's because I don't want that. I've got full joy. I mean, that's, that's not a bad thing, but I don't need that. I've got a heart that's full of joy in the Lord. So it's not that you're gritting your teeth trying to not want these things. He comes and so satisfies you that you don't want those things. That's what he does. It's in his presence that there's fullness of joy. And so for me, that barrier of wanting other things, that, that rising up in my heart saying, ah, I want this and this and this, I get freed from that. And you know, it's, it's a good thing to get freed from that because those things aren't going to satisfy me anyway. Have they ever? No. That's the second truth. Third truth, God's promise to meet all our needs. This is beautiful. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will supply, underline that word will, will supply every, underline every, will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Because you're trusting Jesus Christ, the, the all-powerful, all-sovereign God of the universe has sworn that he will provide every need that you have. Every need that you have. So as, as you look ahead to your future, You've got decades in front of you, right? There's going to be lots of needs out there. Needs of wisdom. You're going to have some huge decisions to make. Needs for strength. Needs for money. All kinds of needs that you have as you look ahead to your future. And God promises to meet every one. That does not mean you're all going to be driving Bentleys to your waterfront mansion. Okay, just to be, be clear. The word is needs, all right? It might actually mean extreme poverty, like the Macedonian believers. But if that's God's will for you, he is bringing that to you as a gift because through that you're going to have even more joy than you would have with the Bentley or the waterfront mansion. In that poverty, he's going to meet your every need in that poverty. So remember my barrier about fearing the future? You know, what if we don't have this, what if we don't have that? I can't, I can't give any more because of, you know, all this and this and this. And again, there's a place for planning, and I don't want to you know, release people to all be completely irresponsible. But there's no easy, there's a, there's a tension here, isn't there? And there just is. 
We all just need to, need to live with it. But what happens to me is that God has used this promise again and again to free me from fear about the future. So that I, I look ahead and I know God is saying, I'm going to take care of this for you. I will provide for you. Do you think I'm going to let you go under because you've been too generous? Possible. When we open up the Bible, pray earnestly over this promise, he will give us such confidence in his provision that we will be begging for opportunities to give to those in need around us. That's the third truth about what we have in Christ, God's promise to meet all our needs. One more, fourth. God's promise to reward my giving with even more joy in him now and forever. Okay, now, what we're, we're talking about this first step where God's grace gives abundant joy. That's the most difficult step. That's why we're camping on this for a while. So we've looked at three truths about Jesus that if we will ponder them, God and his grace will change our hearts with them. Here's one more. God's promise to reward my giving with even more joy in him now and forever. Look again at Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Shocking command. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Now, Jesus' point is not that the more generous we are now, the more money we're going to have in the future. His point is that the more generous we are now, the more joy in God we'll have in the future. That's what these money bags are that will not fail this treasure in the heavens where no thief approaches. Now think about it like this. Everyone who's trusting Jesus, you're going to have fullness of joy in God forever. You will. That is your destiny. Fullness of joy in God forever. But what this verse is teaching is that the more we obey Jesus now, the more we give now, the more fullness of joy we're going to have forever. You'll all have fullness of joy forever the more we obey now and give now, the more fullness of joy you're going to have forever. Now, I try to think of an illustration to help us think about forever. We're talking about forever here. So think about how big one millimeter is. Okay, one millimeter, pretty tiny, all right? So now compare one millimeter like to a centimeter. Uh, compare a millimeter to a, a meter. That's better, right? Now compare a millimeter to a a kilometer. Okay, pretty tiny here. Now compare a millimeter to 500 billion light years of distance. All right? Now, the point I'm making is just simply this. That one little millimeter is like this life and how long this life lasts and the 500 million light years is eternity and, and again, that's actually infinite which makes total sense why we'd want to devote our lives now to having joy in Christ forever. This makes total sense. One millimeter compared to 500 million light years of distance. Here's four truths of what we have in Christ. There's dozens more. I would encourage you to find many, many more. But I think that's enough to give us a taste. When we will stop and take time to seek God's face, to pray over the truth of all that we have in Christ, to ask him, by your grace, come and change my heart. By your grace, come and fill me. By your grace, come and free me from these barriers, from wanting too many other things and from fear about the financial future. He, his grace will come and fill us with abundant joy. He will do that. You've experienced that. He will do that. 
That's the first step. God's grace gives us abundant joy. But now there's a second step. Abundant joy in God overflows in generosity. That's what Paul says here. Abundant joy in God overflows in generosity. I've used before John Piper's illustration about how weather systems work. That is, if you have a high-pressure weather system, and then that'll flow air into a low-pressure weather system. I'm not a weatherman. That's how it works, right? High-pressure systems flow into lower-pressure systems. That's how it works with abundance of joy. When you are filled with abundant joy in God, your heart becomes a high-pressure system. And when you see a need, someone who, who you can help, someone who you could help show Jesus to, someone who you could provide for so that they can share your joy in God, when, when the high-pressure heart of abundant joy in God sees someone in need, there, there will be an overflowing of care and love for them, both to increase your joy in Jesus, to let them have the joy of sharing your joy in Jesus, that high-pressure system of your joy in God will overflow in wanting to give to others. Now, let me give you an illustration of this from the life of Zacchaeus. I mentioned him earlier. I want you to look at this passage. Luke 19. Zacchaeus was a wealthy tax collector. That's the background. Tax collectors in Israel were not honest men. They could make as much money as they could extort out of, their, out of the population. And so nobody liked them. They're very wealthy. And Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus. And God was working in Zacchaeus' heart because God was going to save Zacchaeus. This wealthy tax collector was going to be changed. And God put in Zacchaeus' heart a desire to see Jesus. And he heard that Zacchaeus was coming through town, so he wanted to see him. Zacchaeus was a short man, short in stature, and so he climbed up into the sycamore tree. If you've gone to Sunday school, you've, you've sung the songs about Zacchaeus climbing up into the sycamore tree. And what happened when Zacchaeus was up in the sycamore tree? Let's read starting in verse 5, Luke 19. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, imagine, you just wanted to see him, and here's Jesus walking. He's walking to the sycamore tree. Jesus is right there below the tree. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Verse 6, so he, Zacchaeus, hurried and came down, and received him joyfully. The grace of God is starting to work in Zacchaeus' heart. This is Jesus. We don't know how much he understood at that point, but the joy was starting to become more abundant. And skip down to verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, this is after they had spent some time together, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What would make Zacchaeus do this? It's because his abundant joy made him want others to taste of the joy that he was experiencing. The abundant joy that God's grace had filled in his heart made him overflow with love for the needy around him. And he wanted to right the wrongs of what he, what he had done. So he wanted others to have to share in the joy that he was finding in Jesus. Just like what the Macedonian believers experienced, this filled Zacchaeus with such joy that he overflowed in generosity. That's how it works. The battle is for the joy. 
when the joy is there, the overflow comes. The overflow is not the battle, right? The battle's for the joy. And when we set our hearts on who Christ is and pray and ask God, by your grace, fill me, he will change our hearts. He will free us from those barriers, wanting more things or being fearful about the future. He will free us from those. We have abundance of joy. We overflow with, with generosity. So Grace Church, that's what should motivate our giving. The joy that we have in Christ overflowing in a longing for others to share in that joy and overflowing in a longing for me to have even more of that joy. It's all about the joy that we have and will have in Christ. Jesus is our treasure. He's why, our, he's why we give, because of what we have and because of what we, we will have in him. That's what motivates our joy. So what should we do? Let me give you three takeaways. Actually, there's a first one before, or just before I get to these three. If you are not yet trusting Christ and you're here, we are really glad you're here. And I would encourage you to put your focus on what I talked about earlier about forgiveness of sins. Put your focus there at this time. Because Jesus Christ stands before you, who was crucified, who rose from the dead, who paid for the sins of all who would trust him, and he's saying, trust me. Trust me. I will forgive you for all your sins. You'll be reconciled to God. You'll never face any punishment. Not only will I forgive all your sins, I will start to change your heart. I will satisfy your heart. Trust me. That's what I would urge you to do this morning, and then all these things will become real and meaningful to you that we're talking about here. So start there. Don't think about giving right now. Think about Jesus and being forgiven by him right now. Now, for the rest of you, here's three takeaways. First, if you have financial needs, let us know. We want to be a family here at Grace Church. We will do all we can to to help you with your financial needs. We're committed to that here at the church. So let us know if you have financial needs. That's the first one I want to mention. Because, again, this may have been painful thinking, I've got all these needs. Well, we want to help you. Secondly, Pray over all you have in Christ until you are filled with joy. And then do that again and again and again and again. And again and again and again and again for the rest of your life. Just keep doing that. That's what the Christian life is to a great extent. Praying over all that we have in Christ until we are filled with joy. And then third, Let this joy overflow in abundant generosity. Let this joy overflow in abundant generosity. That's the motivation. Let this joy in God, joy in Christ, overflow in abundant generosity. For example, give to the poor in ways that will show Jesus to them. Ask the Lord, how could I do that? What would that look like here in in Abu Dhabi? How would that work? Give to the poor in ways that will show Jesus to them. (laughs) Give to gospel-centered missions and church planting. And we're trying to do that as a church. We budget 10% of of everything that comes in. We want to commit to giving to missions and church planting in in the Middle East region with this massively spiritually needy part of the world. God will open up opportunities. You'll hear about opportunities um, where you can give to missions and church planting. So give to the poor in ways that will show Jesus to them. Give to gospel-centered missions and church planting. 
And if this is your church, give here. Give here. Give more here if you can between you and the Lord. Again, it's not that we're facing a financial crisis, but it comes down to this. When you're able to give more, we're able to do more. And we have lots we want to do here in Abu Dhabi. Lots we want to do here. We, we want to be a church that is, is caring for the needy in such powerful, beautiful, sacrificial ways that it will show Christ to lost people around us. They'll wonder, why are these Christians giving to the poor this way? Let's do that. We want to raise up a company of believers here who are moving throughout Abu Dhabi, sowing seeds of the gospel wherever we go. We want to fill Abu Dhabi with the gospel. To raise up a, a company of believers who are doing that. We want to plant home groups in every neighborhood in Abu Dhabi if the Lord gives us grace to do that so that every neighborhood has a gospel witness there, community of believers showing, displaying the love and the reality of Jesus Christ. And we want to plant churches here in Abu Dhabi and in the Middle East. We want to plant English-speaking churches. We want to plant Hindi-Urdu-speaking churches. We want to plant Tagalog-speaking churches. We want to plant Arabic-speaking churches. We want to plant lots and lots and lots of churches here in Abu Dhabi and in the Middle East. But, but see, all that's going to take more staff, more resources, which means more money. So the more you can give to Grace Church, the more we can do. But give to the poor, give to other churches, right? give to the needy, give to missions. You do that as well. God will work out the proportions of your giving. What's important is that this comes as an outpouring of joy from God, abundant joy pouring into your heart from God, and then an overflow of generosity because of all that you have in God. Do not give in order to get money. It's not the biblical motivation. God will provide. God will provide. God will provide. But if you give to get money, then money is your passion. And it won't satisfy you anyway. Give because of the joy you have in God and to get more of God. He's glorified when we give in that way. That's how God calls us to give and that's how we want to give. Let's stand together and pray. God, I pray that you would touch our hearts powerfully through your grace this morning. Money's a very tangible, very real area of each of our lives, Lord. And we all need to grow in this area. I do, we all do. So Lord, grow us. Grow us. Teach us more of what your word says about what should motivate our, our giving. Teach us more about this, Father, I pray. I pray, Lord, for those who come from different backgrounds, maybe like a prosperity gospel background, Lord, that you would just give them grace to think about these things and to pray about these things and, and to study these things. And, and Lord, that you would, would teach them, bless them, teach them, God, I pray. I do pray for anybody here this morning who's, who's facing financial difficulties. Oh, Lord, let them see that you will meet every need that they have and show us what we can do as a body to help them and care for them. Lord, I pray that as we seek your face, you would so fill us with the joy of all that we have in Christ that, that even this week we would see generosity bubbling up in our hearts and overflowing in a desire to, to give to others for the glory of your name. 
Lord, make Grace Church a church that displays Christ's glory by the sacrificial way that we give to the needy, to the poor, to missions, to church planting, to the work here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.